Thanks ever so much, Andrew, for that. Joshua chapter 24, the very last chapter in the book. So if you've come here for the first time and you've missed the entire series, apologies, but we can't do the first 23 chapters just for this morning. It's going to be just as if you've kind of like opened a book that you've just bought from a shop and you're going to start with the last chapter. But hopefully you'll capture something of this being God's living word that is going to speak to you and be relevant uh, to you. And we've got some sheets of paper, some white sheets of paper on the piano for the younger children to hopefully draw a picture of Joshua for us. Uh, Louise very cleverly said, have you got a, pic- a picture of Joshua for us to copy? Uh, which I thought was very funny. Uh, so I want you to imagine a soldier, a leader of God's people, and we're going to hopefully be able to see what you've drawn by the end of our time together. Well, um, did you enjoy singing that hymn, Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end? Yeah? I wonder if that's true. Because the reality is, when you've got 100 people, which is round about what we've got here this morning, uh, it's not going to be true for all of us. And some of us, I dare say, are going to have egg on our faces when it gets to the end of time. And then we're going to be face to face with someone who may well ask us that question. Can you remember back in 2019, you actually sung a song where you promised to serve Jesus until the end. You didn't, did you? Isn't it so much easier to sing a song than to actually put the reality of the words that we're singing into practice. Yeah? It's like people that think, right, forever and a day, from this moment forward, I'm going to only support the All Blacks because they're never going to lose. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'd lighten the load from you feeling incredibly guilty from the first bit where we started. So let's have a look at Joshua chapter 24. It's been a long journey for God's people to cross the Jordan into the promised land. Throughout that journey, we've learned lessons for our own journey as well, which is a marathon and not a sprint. That's why it's a lot easier for us to sing with gusto, Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end, because we don't know where we're going to be next week, next month, next year, do we? And we know that roller coaster ride that we looked at some of that last week. Sometimes we're feeling okay, so we can state a promise like that. Other times, life is just too tough. And then we ask questions, and we get doubts, and sometimes we're kind of tempted to chuck the whole God thing out the equation totally. There can be a temptation to think uh, that the whole journey is about the crossing over bit into the promised land. And after that, the job is done. But actually, it's now that the work is going to start. Because where are they going to live? How are they going to get hold of their food? What about their work? How are they going to know what kind of internet access they're going to get? And we don't want to talk about that in this building this week because we've lost internet access and (gasps) pandemonium. People who become followers of Jesus, the Bible says, have crossed over from death to life. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. John chapter 5 verse 24. John carries on and says in in, uh, the first letter 1 John chapter 3 verse 14. We know that we have passed over from death to life. Something of the truth of that crossing over. But just that crossing over with a decision that's made at a particular point in our own life journey. Doesn't mean to say that then that's it. Far from it. When someone becomes a Christian, when someone maybe becomes a member of like a church here, or a new church moves into a new community, it's not the end of the story. 
that's when very often the work is going to begin, isn't it? There's still a purpose that God has for us. So let's think about that in the context of Joshua chapter 24. Well, following last week's hero, Caleb, which was way back in Joshua chapter 14, uh, you may well think we're making a little bit of a, of a leap to get to where we've had the, uh, this morning's reading. Well, there's a reason for that. And if you read the, the chapters in between, most of them are to do with very long places, very long names as to who ended up where. And it's not really that helpful for us to trawl through that this morning. But what it does say to us is that the Bible prioritizes the whole importance of his God's word being based on historical fact. And some people are really massively into that. It's not going to be as helpful for ourselves in terms of life application for what we do in response to that this morning, which is why we're going to skip over and just touch firstly on Joshua chapter 22. Because although all of God's people entered into the promised land, there was a group uh, of God's people called the two and a half tribes that before they crossed over said, in actual fact, this kind of patch here, we want to stay here. Well, based on promises that had already been made, Joshua said, well, that may well be uh, what you're wanting for the future, but you're going to pitch in with the rest of us so that we secure all of the promised land and then you can then have permission to then go back. And they, they, they kept to their word, they kept to their promise, and they honoured that. And the first few verses of Joshua chapter 22, we see the gratitude that after seven years of these guys that had been separate for their families throughout that time, and uh, Joshua is wanting to summon the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, of, of Manasseh and he publicly acknowledges uh, those tribes' obedience, both himself, to Moses before that, and to the Lord. Remember that they did not take their inheritance in the land with the other tribes, but instead asked to remain on the east of the Jordan River. So in that time, they bust a gut over those seven years for the sake of their brothers. And then that seven years comes to an end, and they're then freed up to then go back to that land that they wanted east of the Jordan. But Joshua wants to acknowledge what they have done, to impart and share the gratitude. And I guess that whole wrench emotionally would have been really tough for those people groups that have fought side by side, lived together side by side and then those two and a half tribes go back. An emotional departure. Sometimes we have a point in our Sometimes we have a point in our own journey, don't we, where there's, where there's that shift, there's that change or a sense of uprooting. And there's an emotional wrench where we then are leading and being led to where God, we believe, wants us. And then we get to Joshua chapter 24, where this guy Joshua is now an old man. He knows he's coming to the end of his life. And for people that are getting to the end of their lives, sometimes people write out something that they want to pass on about their life story to the next generation. For others, they may well gather their children together and say, look, there's some things that I want to tell you because I know that my time is nearly over. Joshua chapter 23 was about a big farewell speech. And it's a great uh, message. And I talked with the idea of us thinking about that. But he challenged uh, God's people basically to be strong. He also encouraged them that they were to follow God's word only. To not be influenced by the world out there. And that they should make sure that they continue to love the Lord their God. 
very similar words that he himself received at the start of his leadership, at the start of his ministry. And now he's come to the end of his life and he's thinking, you know what, what I had spoken into my life is very real and relevant for me to pass on to this next generation in the here and now. Maybe there's something for ourselves to take even from that. That's that sense of continuing to be strong, to follow God's word, to not be influenced by out there, and to continue to love the Lord our God. In Joshua chapter 24, it may well be that there's a slightly different gathering of people here. Maybe God had spoken to him a further time with some extra bits uh, that, um, that he wanted uh, to pass on. That's what we're going to think about. He again looks back over what God has done. Verses 2 to 13 aren't about just looking back, uh, though remembering God's hand upon them and their, uh, God's faithfulness to them uh, in the immediate past. The only difference from chapter 23 is that he's now going right the way back over the course of the whole of history. Beyond the battles that have led them into the promised land, maybe Joshua wants Israel to know exactly how long God had been faithful for. Sometimes when we say, well, let's pause, let's, let's give God thanks for how faithful he is or he's been. And we can think about those recent moments in our lives. And we've done quite a bit of that over the last uh, 12 months, transitioning from old building in Acton Road that is now no more and is now tarmac and car park, to then coming here and we had a year's, uh, one year on celebration in our new building. It was good to recognise that and to celebrate and to thank God for his faithfulness to us. But it's almost as if the, the, our equivalent would be for us to not just focus on God's faithfulness for the last year here. To not just focus on God's faithfulness throughout that 120 years or whatever it was that we were in Acton Road. But maybe somebody to come and lead us in to go way back and way back and way back. And say, you know what, this God who's been faithful to you in the recent past, in the recent history, and even in the years before you and before you, goes way, way, way back. Our God is a faithful God. It's part of his own DNA. And maybe Joshua is giving an impassioned plea to God's people that they get that. Because it's so easy for us to forget, isn't it? Very often in some of the uh, the meetings uh, that we have, certainly deacons meetings and, and elders meetings, we, uh, we start off our meetings with encouragements. Why do we do that? Well, because a lot of the stuff that we're having to deal with are, are not that kind of jubilant and joyful. There's some tough stuff that we need to weigh through. And if we're not... Uh, that kind of careful we can get bogged down with some of those big issues and we forget to acknowledge the good that God is doing day in day out week in week out so we pause at the start and say right give some encouragements what what have you been aware of that God's been doing what's some of the good that's been going on amongst his people and that's a great place to start it lifts us but it also is acknowledging to God be the glory great things he has done and great things he is doing Why? Because God is a faithful God. And that is what Joshua is wanting God's people to grab hold of. God's people can't just give verbal assent to just following God, though. It would be a bit like them singing 
oh Jesus we, no, don't send me an email to say well Jesus hadn't come yet just take the spirit of that's in the song we've sung oh Jesus I've, I've promised oh God I've promised to serve thee to the end had Joshua been here halfway through I can imagine him getting up and saying whoa 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 no you don't no you don't you bunch of hypocrites and don't don't kind of come back at me with any hassle because this is what Joshua in essence says here because when he gives his big plea about God's faithfulness the reaction from God's people is we will serve the Lord when he says are you going to serve yes we're going to serve the Lord Joshua says what no you ain't don't believe a word of it that's almost offensive isn't it we wouldn't have read, read that offence in it at all. We would have just heard Andrew read the reading. Read it again, Joshua chapter 24. That's the context of what's going on here. Joshua, though, informs God's people there of his and his family's resolution to serve God. The people pick up on that theme and they say, yeah, well, we will also serve the Lord. They say the right things. But Joshua wants more than a hands up. He wants more of their own just saying the right thing because they know the right script. I could stand up here this morning and say, hands up those people who thinks that God's amazing. And we'd all put our hands up, I guess, because we'd feel embarrassed not to. I could go one step further. Who's going to put God first this week? And if you're a Christian, you think, oh, rats, I can't say no. I can't not put my hand up. Do you get where I'm coming from here? Because that's what Joshua is pushing for here. All the people say the right thing, as if it's just a hands up thing. He's saying, no, hang on, this is a serious question. I want you to nail your colours to the mast today. Choose this day whom you will serve. That is a big question. And after they answer it, no, he wants to know. Are you really serious about what you have made a commitment to? He wants to know how serious they are in their commitment. And to do that, he speaks of the holiness of God. His standards. Of the dangers of apostasy, of giving up the faith. They again promise obedience. So Joshua then calls them to get rid of all other gods. They need, in essence, for there to be radical change. Certain things have got to go. That is where Joshua is hitting hard. And to be faithful to the text, that's what I've got to demand of us as his people. Sorry about that. If you just turned up for a fluffy little word about God loves you, smile and it's going to be okay, you don't always get that from God's word. He's a faithful God. He's faithful to his own. But his standards are high. Are we serious in our commitment to following our God? It's all there in Joshua chapter 24. Let's think about some of the applications because Joshua then makes this covenant with the people having been convinced. Okay, you've now repeated, you've nailed your colours to the mask uh, and and, uh, I'm going to write this down in a book and there's going to be a stone set up as a memorial of it and then he dismisses the people. That's kind of what goes on there. So what then are some of the applications other than the obvious for ourselves? 
Well, we've got all that history about God's faithfulness uh, that uh, Andrew read out the first uh, seven verses, but you can read the rest of those up to verse 12. And then when you get verse 13, I think we can see in verse 13 this, that we, we, are, we are only where we are thanks to God. We are only where we are thanks to God. God says, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil, cities that you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. I wonder if you've ever looked back and thought to yourself, I did pretty well, didn't I? Or I'm doing pretty well. Look at the house that I'm in. Look at the bank account. Look at what I achieved on my CV. Wow. I wonder if we've been ever tempted to think that. We can think we're so clever. There's a fine line, isn't there, between feeling good about something that we've been involved in or that we've been managed uh, to be able to do and allowing that to fuel our own pride or uh, ego. I think it's right that we're encouraged. I think it's right that we get excited for some of the stuff that God has led us into and that we've been able uh, to do or to achieve. Remember the first time I put a shelf on a wall? I thought, yes! And you can think of those things. That's okay. But on the more serious stuff, we like to think we're pretty good. We need a kind of status thing, don't we? Something that kind of deals with how significant or important other people may well feel when they look our way. Look at this building. Wow. Aren't we a great church? Look what we've achieved. Oh, it's all been the Lord's work. But deep down, do you know how much money I gave into this? It's temptation there, isn't it? Do you know how many hours I've spent doing? And if we're not too careful, we can move from the encouragement and the excitement of being partners with what God has done to look to take maybe a little bit too much of the credit. Now, I am not a woman, I am a man. So I'm going to speak about what it's like for men. And we've shared at different men's meetings from time to time. And it's only one of the things that, when men are honest, comes up time and time again. And that is how important our own significance is. At this point, I'm gazing around, seeing a few wives look to their husbands and think, Yep! Our egos are very important. We like to feel important. That sense of significance is quite key for us. And if you ever doubt that, just watch what happens when a man reaches retirement. And they've had an important job, an important role, maybe staff under them. And then they retire and all of that goes. There's a massive sense of loss, very often for men. Because all that I was and thought myself to be was wrapped up in my identity of being important and significant. And quite quickly, you'll notice very often, men have to have a substitute for that to do something else that breeds them not a sense of filling time, always so much as a sense of their own significance. There you go. Nobody can actually have a go at me because I'm a man. (laughs) But reflect upon that. God is wanting his people here to know Everything that you have is through my grace alone. I've given you skills. I've given you abilities. I've provided. 
and there's been a sense of working together. But bottom line is, everything you have is because of my grace alone. So, to prevent God's people getting proud of their achievements, Joshua reminded them that they only have what they have due to God's grace. Jesus said something similar, didn't he, in John's Gospel, where he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Reminds me of Manuel. Remember Manuel, 40 does, I know nothing. (laughs) Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. So that's the first thing, I think, by way of application. In the next couple of verses, well, we do have to constantly make uh, a choice. Now, fear the Lord, Joshua says, and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. What a challenge for every single one of us here this morning. Because whatever choice you made a week ago or ten years ago... It's choose this day whom you will serve. We will each have opportunities to demonstrate who we're serving today through the conversations we have, through what we actually are doing for the rest of our day or our week, won't we? And we're going to demonstrate our worship of God through how we speak and how we live our lives. We have to constantly make a choice. Joshua's primary reason is crystal clear. He wants them to know who the real God is. Victories have been won, but by the power of God. But the people nevertheless have to choose for themselves, as we do, intelligently, decisively, totally and willingly, who they will serve. The word serve appears about seven times in verses 14 and 15 in different shapes and forms. Joshua called for a decision That would help end that spiritual and moral restlessness that marked so many lives. He demanded a commitment. There was no sitting on the fence at all. No feet in two camps. I'm always somewhat bemused when people say, well, I'm kind of sitting on the fence. You just want to sort of flick people around the the face or something. Say, well, there is no fence to sit on. You're either in or you're out. It's kind of like political overtones with that, really, isn't it? But let's not go there this morning. But it's true, isn't it? In terms of the kingdom of God, in terms of whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, in terms of whether God comes first or he doesn't, there is no sitting on the fence. Where are you? Where am I? Parts of this week, do you know, I was thinking, it's very easy for me to sing the song that I know Ali chosen uh, this morning about uh, I will serve this to follow this Jesus. You know, to, um, uh, what was I forgot the jolly words. Yeah, oh Jesus, I've promised to serve thee to the end. Very easy to say. I'm thinking, can I say that right now? Let alone about the future. What about you? When you look in the mirror, because that's the challenge that Joshua, under God's uh, Holy Spirit guidance, is challenging his people. Hundreds of years earlier, Elijah gave a similar challenge. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. 1 Kings chapter 18. The RSV version, I love the uh, the wording there. It says, how long will you go limping with two opinions? What a challenge that is for some of the watered down, wet and wimpy Christianity that too often we see in the West where we just got it so easy. 
And we just have this pick and mix kind of flaky Christianity. Doing a bit of turning up at church and a bit of helping out or whatever. But really when the rubber hits the road, we can't really be counted in. Joshua is saying it's got to be all or nothing. I find that a really hard challenge to weigh through myself this week. And I thought, I'm not going to just go through this myself. I'm going to dump it on you lot as well. Because it's here. Because it's here. We've got to read it. We've got to reflect upon it. Joshua lays it on the line. But he adds that whatever other people would do, he and his household will serve the Lord. Maybe you've got a fridge magnet. Maybe you've got a poster in your home. A great text for any family, isn't it? Or for any household is to actually write out these words and say, you know what? As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Somebody at Cafe Church yesterday uh, was saying when they came across uh, this verse, they thought, you know what? There may well be all sorts of stuff that goes on with people coming and going in our house, but whatever other people's worldview is, the decision that we are making, my wife and, uh, and me, is this. We are going to make sure that as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Francis Schaeffer, Schaeffer says that when Joshua challenged the people to choose to serve God and affirm that this was his choice as well, the tense that he used implies more than a once for all choosing. The tense involves a continuous action. So that choose this day whom you will serve could then be the same invitation or challenge tomorrow and next week. Choose this day, choose this day. It's as if he's saying, I have chosen to serve the Lord. I am choosing the same path of service now. And yes, indeed, I will go on choosing to serve God until the very end. That's how committed Joshua was feeling it right at the end of his life. And that is something to aspire to, to hope that we would be in that place too. And lastly, we got to get rid of anything that comes before God. Who's first? What's first in our lives? The people here, Joshua's challenge, and they meet it with positive enthusiasm. Yes, we will serve. How could we serve other gods? God's done great things for us. He is our God. Joshua isn't convinced, first of all. You're not able to serve other gods. He's a holy God. They're adamant they will serve God. So Joshua then lets them know that the only way for them to do that is for them to examine their hearts and their minds and to then get rid of anything that is idolatrous. Now, in their context, that would have been things like this. Foreign gods would have been of the Chaldeans, would have been fire, light, and sun. Of the Egyptians, anything to do with the ape, serpents, vegetables. Of the Canaanites and Moabites, Venus, wood carvings. So we might think, well, I haven't got any of that stuff uh, uh, in my house at all, apart from maybe a few um, mouldy vegetables in the fridge. But apart from that, I certainly don't worship those vegetables, so I'm in the clear. But you see, we can create our own sense of idols. And you'd have, I'm sure, heard this at different times and in different forms, but it comes up today, and this is the application for us. Anything that comes before God means that we're an idolater. Anything at all. It may well be that sense uh, of our home. It may well be how much we have got in our bank account. 
It may well be our Facebook account. It may well be our laptop. It may well be our favourite pet, our favourite football team. It may well be church work. It may well be our family. It may well be a spouse. You think, well, some of those are all quite good things, aren't they? They're good things to, to prize in terms of space, family, but not to come first. Because if anything is in the place that God should be in, we are an idolater, according to the word of God. So Joshua is saying, anything that you've got that is coming first has got to go now. And the challenge for you and me is for ourselves to reflect upon that and go home and then evaluate as we look around is there stuff or something that needs to go or is there a prayer of confession where I then re-put my allegiance back on God coming first we're to act upon it verse 23 Joshua says okay then throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord the God of Israel Maybe you've watched certain films about the Middle Ages. I can remember this from uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. There being a, a particular scene where Robin Hood uh, is there and, uh, and there's been a, a swashbuckling thing. And, of course, the sword of, the, of his opponent and is then uh, kind of cast away. And so he could just run this other guy through with his sword. But his question is, do you yield? It's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? But it's all to do with submission. God isn't putting a sword to our throat, but it's a challenge nonetheless. Are we making a choice to be in submission to the one who we claim to be our God? To the one who we sung to saying, I have promised to serve you to the very end. One commentator said this, a man's promise to serve God soon loses its moral hold of his conscience if he is not instantaneously beginning to put it into practice. Wow. And I think what he's saying is this. It's very easy for us to think, wow, that was a challenge. I really need to think about that until I leave this building when I can do absolutely nothing about it. I believe the Spirit of God is wanting to follow us through at that door and say, so what are you going to do? Or what needs to be done so that we are truly in submission to the one that we hail as being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What is it that we're to do that might demonstrate that commitment? And just in case you're here this morning, you think, well, there's a whole host of things in my life that are really important to me. And I don't even know about this God bit at all. It's important that we make that decision to give our own lives to God in the first place out of recognition for what he's done for us. What has he done for me? I'll tell you what he's done. Because the Bible teaches that each and every one of us are sinful people. We failed God. We failed our own standards, let alone God's. And the result of that in God's standing and his word is that we deserve to be punished. Not a clip round the year old, but the punishment is death. Not, not death as in the end of our physical life, but eternal separation from God. Well, I don't like the sound of that, but here's the good news. Although the wages of sin is death, the Bible says in Romans 6, the gift of God, the gift, the gift is given, is eternal life. For who? For those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
That is why God came in the form of Jesus. That is why this Jesus willingly gave of himself when he died on the cross. So all that punishment for our own wrongdoing was dumped on him. Nails through his hands. His life for yours. So we might go free. So what have I got to do? Just say thank you. Just like we do when we receive a gift. Just like we saw those kids in the Samaritan's Purse, the shoebox uh, um, video. You see the, the, the open-eyed, beaming smile as the kids are expressing their thanks to receive that gift. They didn't have to do anything but receive. And in our receiving is believing that that which God has done, he has done but you. For you. And the response that God is looking for is simply to say, I believe that. I admit I've done wrong. Forgive me. I believe, God, that you came in the form of Jesus, that you died for me. Help me to make a commitment to you and to serve thee to the end. If you want to know how that works, or you're thinking about that as a prayer, come and have a word with us. Come and have a word with one of the leaders. You've got Chris, you've got David that's here, you've got Martin that's here as leaders of the church. Do speak to them. And they'll help you understand what all that is all about. It will change not just your life, but your eternal destination, if that's the first decision that you've made. Let's pray. God, we pray that whatever you've spoken to us, that you may help us be brought to our knees internally, even if not physically, that we might indeed give of ourselves to you because of what you've done for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.